Hello, hello, hello. This is Truth Be Told. This is Dr. Walter Aka. Hey, this is Leroy Horton. How y'all doing? This is Dr. Jermaine Fetty. All right. Or, or AKA Doc. That's what hey, he wanted. He just said, he said, just call me Doc. <laughs> D-O-C. D-O-C. Right. <laughs> with, with the MBA. With the yeah. MBA. You know what I mean? I forget so, that. Um, you know, I'm I'm gonna say I'm excited about this episode. I'm really excited because not only do we have uh, uh, uh another colleague that's also podcasting and killing in the podcast in the podcast industry, but we also have somebody who has gone through the whole gambit of dentistry. You were once a traveling dentist. You mentor to dental students. You have your own podcast. The man has his own dental office now. You know, Empire Dental Group. So it's kind of what doesn't he do? I feel like the next step would be he he also owns an orphanage. <laughs> you know, what I do, don't, even, don't, don't even say it. If you say it, I'm hanging up right now. <laughs> back home in Nigeria. So if anybody would like to support his house, a whole ministry. There it is. Okay, so he does everything. Uh, yes, this man does everything. So so we're excited. I feel I feel lesser than. Just being are, are we going to do our ceremonial competition on jollof rice? Like we're not, we're not going to do that. We're not going to. <laughs> We've already established that Ghanaian jollof. All about peace, love, peace and love, peace and love. <laughs> but anyway, Doc, thank you so much for coming on the on, on the podcast, man. Really appreciate you. Thank you both for your time. Yeah, man. So, so I want to start off by just basically asking you the first thing: when you got when you came out of dental school. What was the vision for your dental career? Man, where, where do we start? Uh, ultimately, the end game was definitely ownership, uh, just because dentistry is one of those few niches within healthcare that allows uh, an entrepreneur to be able to express themselves. So definitely ownership was the end game for sure. At least the first end game, you know, you have multiple end games, but that was definitely the first one. Um, so my goal coming out of school was how do I get as much information in my head as quickly as possible? I don't come from a dental background where, you know, your mother your, or your father might be a dentist or uncle or auntie. Um, I'm the first dentist I knew. I always joke and say, um, but it's actually very serious. I met my first um, man of color who was a dentist when I was in dental school. So how do you become something you've never seen before? Right. Mm. So going into dental school, you know, you, you, you're putting together a dream with nothing to really uh, base it off of, you know? So sometimes, you know, you, you're putting together dreams based off of wishes and hopes. And then when your wishes and hopes become reality, now it's like, okay, what do I hope for next? Um, so Practice ownership was always that next step. But again, since you've never really seen it close up, it's just take one step at a time. Was that was that part of the motivation for dentistry? Were you was it more of a healthcare uh, interpersonal relationship motivation to get into dentistry? Or was it the entrepreneurial uh, possibilities that kind of drove you in that direction? That's a great question. See, the beautiful thing about business is that it can be expressed in any particular avenue. Right. We can open up a restaurant. Uh, you can sell baseball cards you can do any particular way right so once you understand that entrepreneurial spirit is inside of you you can just move past to the next step so for me personally i wanted to help people right so i was between becoming an OBGYN or a dentist actually i either wanted to help people make babies or be able to help people create smiles one of the two right so i actually took both interest exams the mcat on the medical side and the dat for dental school and i said lord whichever one i do better on that's where i'm going so I took both exams, <laughs> did better on DAT, and I knew I was okay. going to become a dentist. So we just went on straight to dental school and just really had fun with it. All right. So what what did your counseling look like? Because those are very, even though there are 
are within the scope of healthcare. Those are two very two different trajectories. Sure. What kind of advice or guidance were your counselors telling you when you were expressing uh, such a divergent, um, you know, aspirations? That is actually a very great question. And again, how do you become something you've never seen before? So again, right. I'm trying to become something I've never seen before. I'm doing it in an unconventional way. So who do you really ask? You know, unfortunately, on the undergrad side of things or even an MBA program, nobody's there really mapping out what it looks like to be a pre-dent or really a pre-med. So really just taking it step by step. Um, honestly, I'm getting a lot of advice from people who are not dentists or medical doctors who are giving me their best advice, you know, and then you're okay. taking it based off what you're seeing on Google um, and then just trying to put it together the best way you possibly can. I know the one thing that I was always told is that if your GPA is good, you're always going to have options, right? So protect right. the GPA at all costs, um, make sure that was taken care of. So by the time I took both interest exams, it was really just choosing a door, more of trying to, you know, start from scratch. So for anybody out there, if you don't know what you want to do, or if you don't really have a lot of mentors in that space, the best thing you can possibly do at that point is protect your GPA to give yourself as many options as possible. Not saying if your GPA isn't great that you don't have options, but it just makes things a lot easier for sure. Bro, that, oh, that is a makes gem. Sense. We, that makes we, sense. we need we need to highlight that that <laughs> answer, turn it into a clip because, man, we, we work with so many students across the spectrum. Yeah. And some of them are somewhat decided. Some are undecided. But you're right. If, if you don't have a solid plan and you're not well with on that plan, you know, well within that plan, having a solid GPA, when you get to the point where you can make a decision opens, you know, keeps doors open for you. So I love that you said that. Love that. So, you know, you talk about you talk about basically being unique in the sense that you chose different routes, right? You come out of dental school and you didn't go straight into ownership, right? You said you you traveled a little bit. Tell me how you got into that mindset of because again, I don't think people talk about, okay, you're going to graduate, you're going to become a traveling dentist. How did that look like for you? How do you set that up? How do you even begin to think of that? Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Um, the same way we keep going back to the same point. How do you become something you've never seen before, right? I never knew anybody who was a traveling dentist. I didn't know anybody even who did locums. Um, it took like three phases of networking to get to even somebody who did locum tenums, right? So I'm getting to the point, I know my outcome ownership and I know I need to get as much information as possible because, again, I don't come from a dental background, right? I get as much experience as I can in school. Uh, but my mother so wisely told me that maybe going straight into ownership might not be the best idea for you right now just because you don't come from that heavy dental background. So you might want to take a year, get as much as you can underneath your feet. So now you know what you need to do and you know what you have to do. Now you just got to do it, right? So that's when it put all the pieces together and said, you know what? I need to get to as many places as possible. So I didn't even really start out travel dentistry. My first contracts I signed in April. We graduated in May. So, you know, you know how it is in dental school that fourth year. Everybody got their master plan. I'm going That's to this it. residency. I'm going to go work with this mentor mm -hmm. and everything like that. People are asking me, and I'm like, to be honest with you, I really don't know. And I'm okay with not knowing because I know okay. that you know, the plan itself is what, what matters. So my first contract was actually between two, two dentists who did not do extractions. And extraction is one of the things that I did probably five or 10 X what the requirement was in school. I just hung out in the oral surgery department. Um, when I was entering my fourth year, a mentor told me when I, you know, everybody gives you the, um, you know, I want to do a, a one year residency after school because I don't necessarily feel ready. And he challenged me and said, why don't you feel ready? You're, you're third year entering your fourth year. 
why wouldn't you feel ready if you have a whole nother year ahead of you, you know? If you truly don't feel ready, then cool, go get what you need to go get, right? But don't just give me that excuse that you don't feel ready. So I took that fourth year as a challenge to really hang out in the oral surgery department, the periodontal department, the prosthodontic departments, to really get as much information in my head as possible. So then I'm coming out and I'm covering for two dentists who don't do extractions out in private practice, and they've been dentists for 15 years. I remember my second day on the job was a full mouth extraction. It was on a 18-year-old young man, unfortunately. Um, his family just, his oral health wasn't necessarily a priority. So I remember we took out 31 teeth and one tooth was impacted. So I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to leave that tooth in there so you could always tell people you have teeth, you know? So now he still has that one tooth in there that's covered up, but he has his two, he has his, <laughs> upper and his lower denture. And that was how the first day went, you know? But at the same time, I would not advise that for everybody because what happens when they bring you in to handle the surgeries and you get stuck, <laughs> you know? So, you know, again, it's just it's very unconventional. But at the same time, you know, you got you to know what what makes you special and really hone in on that. So by getting that experience within those particular departments um, and handling a few full mouth extractions in school before graduating, I knew that that's a service I could provide for these two particular dentists. So let me ask you this. And I've, we've actually had another gentleman that came on, but he would teach you know, other general dentists about third molar extractions and full mouth and implants and so forth. And I'm noticing a theme here where anybody that does the travel, we'll call it traveling just for the sake of, you know, argument, but moves around and covers other dentists for certain uh, tasks, it always seems to be surgical, mm -hmm. right? Is that something that you would actually advise maybe students who are in your position, third and fourth year, to say, hey, really focus in on surgery? Or would you say, nope, focus in on what you'd like to do or, or focus in on, you know, maybe going for another year? Because I think to me personally, it's not necessarily if you weren't ready or not. It was what what could a, another year of training help, you know, help you do? You were an example that is not it's rare. Let's be honest you're a rare example to be that prepared after graduating, right? What advice would you give to these students who are coming out and thinking they're going to do what you did? I think you bring up a very good point. It's, it's not about if you necessarily feel ready, if that's not your track, right? Like for me, that was my track, get into ownership as soon as possible. So for me, it was, do you feel ready? Do you not feel ready? Right. If that's not your track, then you need to get as prepared as possible. So when you finally do come out, you can do what you need to do. Right. So you don't have to bring in me to handle your extractions. You know, you can handle your own extraction, do whatever you need to do in your particular office. So for these other individuals who are in a position where they're in their third year and they're and they're seeking advice on what the next step looks like, uh, I, I really counsel you to really take time. And one thing that's not done enough in dental school is for people to really search within themselves on what you truly want. Right. I feel like we all are either choose A, B, C, or D, right? You're going to choose this path or this path, but not really trying to figure out internally what you truly want to do. Because the closer you get to what your inner self truly wants to do, the more fulfilled you're going to be, right? It, it sucks when you've done all the hard work and you end up in a point that wasn't necessarily supposed to be your destination. And I feel like a lot of people get to that point, And that's why you see a lot of people, unfortunately, you know, wanting to go back and specialize and Respecialize, and it's like you you chose a particular path. No, some some people go back and they respecialize a second or a third time. They go keto, then they go ortho. That's and, a, that's, and, a, that's, a, that's a, that, you know who that is. That's called a Dr. Horton. That, <laughs> there's that's nothing. A, that's a that's a that's a lifer when it comes to education. There's nothing wrong. See, some people are born for education, and that's their path, right? And right. I always say we we should have the right to be able to change our minds. That's it, right? 
But as long as you do the best you can with the information you have at the time, that's all anybody can ever ask for you. Right. You know, do you, you believe say, do you believe in like the super dentist, the, the dentist that does everything? ortho you know uh, veneers and 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 extractions and all that other stuff do you think that's actually that's actually um the jack of all trades the master jack of all trades yeah, the master yeah the master of none do you think that that's actually possible to be the jack of all trades to be that super dentist nowadays now we're talking about clinically inclined or we're talking about knowledge based because i feel like we should all be oh, super not, i'm talking about clinically inclined knowledge i, I can i can read a book about anything Okay. It doesn't necessarily mean I can translate to that, right? Like okay. I can I can read a book about building a house. I shouldn't build your house. You see what I mean? So, so clinically, I'm talking about clinical based. Clinically based. If yeah. you are in a particular specialty, you should be the specialist at what you do, right? If you're a general dentist, you should know a little bit about everything because you chose to be a general dentist, right? Okay. And by knowing a little bit about everything is one thing I've noticed is the more you learn, the more you learn you don't know, right? Hmm. So if you are a true general dentist, you should know what's in your wheelhouse and what's not in your wheelhouse, right? There are people who are literally specialized to handle certain problems, right? As a general dentist, I can do a majority of cases, right? Whether it be Invisalign, whether it be third molar extraction, whether it be molar root canals, whatever it is, I can do majority of things, right? But at the same time, there are certain things that are not best in my hands, right? Number one, pedo. I'm not, I'm not necessarily passionate about that, right? So for a particular patient who has a, a difficulty connecting with a, a child, I would probably refer them to a pedo friend who could better incline to handle that particular situation, right? A gum graft, right? That's not necessarily best in my hands. I need to get that into a better set of hands, right? We're talking about teeth that are laying down inside of the bone, fully impacted. That's not best in my hand. I need to get that into a better set of hands. But so the closer you get to what you know, now you can handle 80 to 85% of the cases. And those 15%, you need to get into the right hands to for those who actually do that on a daily basis. Okay. So I see a lot of myself in you, oh especially when I was younger. Oh my God. Very goodness. driven. <laughs> you would think that no, he's like, I mean, 90. you know my story. I mean, his story almost sounds just like mine, right? Yeah. Extra surgical training, my traveling, doing nothing but surgery for other doctors, had that little niche going. But what I also see in you is, there you're you're a, you have a bulldozer personality meaning there's no obstacle I'll probably I could find to put in front of you that you're not going to knock down you're 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 driven internally you're motivated and that's beautiful to see especially with with young brothers right and i know since you've had your podcast you've talked to a, a wide range of people do you ever tailor your message for people whose personality isn't as assertive as um, self-motivated, as, you know, never say die, as maybe yours and mine and, and Walt's was? How do you talk to people who don't necessarily approach life inherently? They're not hardwired for that, that, uh, that battle like you are. I love that question for so many reasons. And here's why. The, the main premise of the generational dental wealth is to build generational wealth using dentistry as your particular avenue, right? And the reason I love that is because finances is an individual game that you can work as a group to, to do, but ultimately is an individual game. And I love it because it doesn't matter if you're a big personality or, or a, a more introverted personality, the end game is still the same, right? So I don't want anybody thinking that you have to be a big personality to make sure your family is financially secure, right? Like it, it could help get things done faster, or it could hurt things going faster, right? So that's the reason we harp on necessarily 
finding a way to harness your skill set, whether if that's introversion or extroversion, to be able to create the outcome that you want, right? Don't mm -hmm. think that the bigger personalities necessarily make more money or anything along those lines or are necessarily happier, right? Because money is just one part of the particular piece of happiness, right? That's the reason we want to really focus on the holistic component of things. So yeah, sometimes we definitely do have to uh, hone things in a little bit. When we were speaking to UNC last month, one of the questions that we posed was, what is your greatest non-dental accomplishment? And the reason we ask that question is because sometimes we get so wrapped up in the fact that I'm a dentist that we forget that we're still a, people, a person first, right? So what are the accomplishments that are unique to you that you see as an accomplishment that necessarily your classmates or other individuals who are dentists might not see? Because we got to start appreciating the little things about ourselves that seem little to us but are actually big time accomplishment. One young lady, she said her proudest accomplishment was buying her first home. Mm. To another dentist, that might not mean too much, but for somebody who has never lived in a home that was owned, that's a big time move. Right. For another right. individual, it was having their first child. Right. Who knows how much trouble, how much struggle went into them conceiving their first child, right? We got to celebrate these small accomplishments that seem small to us, but are actually big to somebody else, the ability to create life, be able to, house your family in a home. So yes, we tailor what we, I say in particular to the fact that I want you to focus on what makes you special. And once you learn how to bring out what's special to you, even if you are acquired a personality, that is still special. And you can, you can still utilize that as a weapon to get your mission across so you can help more people who identify with a more quieter personality. Okay. But speaking of celebrating, so who's we? I don't think we really dove, dove into this other venture that you're doing, tell us about the we that was out there speaking and educating people on, on their financial uh, uh, goal setting and, and accomplishments. For sure, for sure. So Generation Dental Wealth Podcast is not just a podcast, it's more of a, a, a way to be able to inform individuals. So we go to different conferences. And when I say we, it's my brother, Kingsley Effetti, dental specific CPA, as well as my wife, Donna Fetty. She's a dental hygienist, as well as an office manager at our office. And we try to take a, a multiverse approach so we can be able to tackle different challenges, right? If you have dental specific questions, what I can answer, I will answer. And I have a lot of mentors who can help fill in gaps if necessary. If it's a financial question, Kingsley can get those particular questions answered. For a lot of, in particular, our female audience who has more family related questions, how do you weave things in together? My wife can answer those particular questions because the goal is to be able to, just like a general dentist, can we answer 80 to 85% of the questions and be able to have networks that can fill in the other 15%? So we've traveled to different schools, we've served different conferences. Just two weekends ago, we had uh, we were in the Ritz-Carlton in Charlotte, North Carolina, having our Old North State. I'm not sure if y'all are familiar with the NDA, National Dental Association. We're having our conference. We were, able, <laughs> we were able to have our conference uh, with about almost 100 dentists and dental students. Okay. We were in charge of the dental student component of it, which is about half the population. And we had a financial panel. Where we can just be able to talk about important things because believe it or not, I mean, there are students who don't even have a credit card. I mean, how are we truly preparing students for this real world of going from earning zero dollars to hundreds of thousands of dollars if we don't even understand simple things like credit? or how to write a check, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's what we really try to tackle. How do we fill in the gaps so you can truly enjoy the, dentist, the dentistry component without necessarily having to worry about the financial side and having that, that financial anxiety that exists. So instead of you trying to chase the next paycheck for the higher paying associateship, right? Oh, this person's offering me 10 more thousand dollars. You stay where you're happy and you can utilize what you're getting to create the life that you want. 
Okay. okay. Well, let me ask this question, and and it's that's fair. That's a fair statement. But with dental schools being so expensive, mm. how do you tell somebody to? I mean, yes, in 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 all honesty, staying where you are happy does make sense. But sometimes it's also not fair. And the and I say that because of how expensive dental schools are. So if I had an additional ten thousand, I could pay off my student loans faster. I could put a house a deposit down for maybe a house, a small house, but a house, right? So how do we educate the the future and say, you know, uh, stay where you're happy, but also kind of chase the money so that you can pay off student loans, pay off the credit card bills and so forth. Like, how do you balance that, you know, with the message that you're giving out? Does that make sense? Right. Because what if, what if a Maserati makes me happy? Should I go yeah. buy a Maserati? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I think it should make it your goal. For sure. Yeah. If, if a Maserati you feel like makes you happy, you're a car person, you like a car, set that goal and find a way to get it. But to answer your question in particular, yeah, I don't think necessarily we should chase the money. You see what I'm saying? I think you should be about your business, though, for sure. Like you you, you should not settle for what's less than what you think you personally deserve for the skill set you bring to the table. Right. But at the same time, when I when I say that 10,000, I'm, I'm referring specifically, let's say somebody gives you a $10,000 signing bonus to leave your job. Right. And come work with me. Right. I, I'm looking at it as if you're working where you are and you're happy with what you do, you're technically going to produce better work. How about if you go to where you're not happy, you stay three months and you get fired and you were at a different associateship for five years and you really loved it there. Right. So that's the reason we want to bring the financial component behind it, because no, honestly, no, no dentist should be starving. Right. Like you should not go out for dinner and not have enough to be able to handle you. your check. So our goal is how do we take whatever you're making? And be able to set yourself up for success. And I know it seems so impossible, but it's really, it's, it's a few decisions that are very important decisions, right? Simple things that when you get an opportunity, can you own where you live? When you get an opportunity, can you start cutting out certain revolving lines of credit, which is maybe it's a car payment that you don't need at that time, right? If you want the Maserati, can you get the Maserati in a way that it's not going to drastically change your DTI and maybe you can pay it down or pay it off? You see what I'm saying? How do we do things the right way so we can handle things like student debt? Because student debt is real. I mean, there's no there's no there's no simple fix to this problem that's going on outside of the simple fact that I personally my personal advice. I'm, I'm telling a mentee, right, is stay public and stay home. If you can stay in state, that in itself is going to cut this student debt crisis in half. In North mm -hmm. Carolina, we have the most cost effective dental school, which is East Carolina University. And then UNC Chapel Hill, where I went, the average student is coming out with about $200,000 in debt. Comparing that to where things are now 300 and up, yes. yeah. I mean, you're talking about that's $100,000 in savings. And if you're from the state of North Carolina, you can get a failed scholarship. That's another, it's not even a failed uh, scholarship, but it's a failed so, uh, loan for service. That's another $75,000 on top of that right there. I mean, you're really coming out with maybe one fifty dollars if you play your cards right. Now you're not traveling home, paying a thousand dollars for a flight back home every Thanksgiving. Just small decisions like that. You see what I'm saying? It's not necessarily that this student debt crisis is becoming huge because sometimes, just like you said, we're telling people to chase the school that you love versus go to the school that shows you the most love. You know? Mm -hmm. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this, and and this is kind of going back again. You know, you were you traveled, you kind of went to different offices, correct? Yes. If that was going well, why would the whole office 
you know, owning your own office be something that still kept going. Does that make sense? So if you're doing well with the traveling and making what you need to make and so forth and taking care of your family, what benefit did you see in owning your own practice that this made you stop that and to do this? This is a topic I just discussed with my brother earlier today. Okay. And it's, you have to get very clear with what you want, right? Because a lot of shiny things are going to possibly distract you from your goals, right? If you truly believe practice ownership is your goal, then you need to go for it and you need to make it happen, right? There are going to be things that might take you off that course if you're not necessarily uh, sold on that particular endpoint. For myself personally, right, my wife is a hygienist. So by getting into practice ownership, she now has a home, right? She doesn't have to be a, a, a hygienist who is bouncing around from practice to practice. She can find fulfillment within that particular role, move into the office managerial role. And now people can, other people in my life can now move into leadership roles, right? Because I look at myself as just a springboard for everybody else around me. So for myself personally, to be honest with you, travel dentistry is more lucrative than practice ownership when you first start. Until you thank get you things for, up, thank you have for a saying that. Base. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like on top of that, you're writing things off differently. You don't have the same amount of expenses. I don't want to get into specifics, but I'm telling you. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> we know. We know. I, I'm, glad that you, I'm glad you told that truth because a lot of people say, oh, well, no, you got to be an owner. And I, that may not be for everybody, but it's tough initially. And I think that's something that we don't talk enough about, how difficult I'm it is. Taking a step further, it, it, I'm not even going to say that it might not be for everybody. It is not for everybody. Practice ownership is not for everybody. And it, it's not getting easier. And I will say that as well, right? You're gonna have to become, you're gonna have to have some type of business mind to yourself. You're gonna have to understand simple principles of economics, of marketing, if you really wanna move into practice ownership. I know a lot of people say you can just delegate that stuff. You're not, you don't wanna delegate something when you have a million dollar loan in your head for somebody who can just walk away from a particular situation, right? Like, so if you're not interested in those things, honestly, I would say don't go into ownership, to be honest with you. If you're interested in those things, then go into it. But if you're not, there are there are easier ways to get to your financial end games than ownership. Absolutely. Yeah, because a lot of people feel like if you're owning your a that you're automatically buying a higher income by purchasing a practice, which is we all know it's false. Right. And I own two practices for about 13 years, um, both of which were very successful. Um, but it comes at a cost. Right. What are some of the costs that you've seen? How long have you been in owning so far? A year. A year. What are some of the costs? Because we know the benefits, right? And we're going to keep talking about the benefits of it. But what are some of the costs that maybe you knew about and some that you didn't anticipate, um, both financial and moral and spiritual and mental costs uh, that you've found in this first year? Number one, it's just going to be a pay cut, for sure. Unless you're walking into a patient base that you're acquiring and that already has revenue already built up, which you're going to pay a higher premium for, right? More chances than not, you're going to take a pay cut to move into ownership immediately, right? And then number two, it's it's going to be mentally taxing. I mean, you, there's no more just clocking out and you're done, right? You, there's going to be a, a lot of mental energy that goes into this thinking about how to make your practice better, right? Ultimately, the main cost that's going to be associated is that you're going to have to become your practice. So my, my wife and I always joke that your practice becomes like your baby, like it's an infant. It can't really take care of itself until a certain point, right? So now you're, you're you're really nursing this thing on until it can really get on its feet and start walking on its own. And until it can start walking on its own, you have to be okay with being by it for every step necessary. So there's a lot of costs associated. But at the same time, I will say, as well as there's costs, there's a lot of pros. Your financial upside 
literally it either doubles or it becomes exponentially greater in practice ownership if done correctly. But at the same time, let's not just look at the high side. Let's look at the low side and let's figure out where we personally lie in the middle. You know, as Dennis, sometimes we look at particular uh, statistics and we always say, this is the 50 percentile. I got to be above that. <laughs> but we got to realize somebody has to be above the 50th percentile. Somebody has to be a loaded above and below the 50 percentile for that to be a 50 percentile. So we got to get really real with ourselves and figure out where do we lie in that particular trajectory so we can now start working real plans for the future. So. You know, one thing that I actually find funny is um, a lot of dentists want to be dental owners. They want to be there. They want to have their own office, their own practice and so forth. But uh, Leroy always talks about this. You know, you have to be a business owner. So I ask you this because you got your MBA, right? Was that solely because of your goal of being a practice owner, which maybe then expands into be multiple practices and, and having multiple practices and then maybe having a, you know, a, a DSO, whatever it may be. Was that MBA something that you said I needed in order to understand business first off, and then also to grow a business? That's a great question. The reason I got my MBA is because I wanted to speak the language of business. Yeah. I didn't want it to be a myth to me, right? There were so many things, again, from because where I come from, we're not really uh, have access to a lot of different information. So a lot of things is a lot of things are like it feels kind of mystical to me. Like, does this really exist? Can I really learn this information? And I remember vividly the day I decided I was going to get my MBA. We were actually in undergrad and we were talking to the vice president of our hospital system that was connected to our school at East Carolina. And I asked him, so what kind of doctor are you? Because like what, what kind of doctor I need to be to be able to run this hospital? He said, I'm not a doctor. I said, what kind of degree do you have? He said, I have an MBA. I said, you're telling me I don't have to go to 12, 15, 16 years of schooling to be able to run this hospital? He said, no, I have my MBA, man. I, I just speak the language of business. That's when I decided at that point, I have to learn the language of business. And then I went to my MBA program and I learned that the language of business is much simpler than we really realize. Business school is easier and simpler than dental school. Business school is about collaboration. Dental school, unfortunately, gets to a point it's about competition. Mm. And that's why I love. You know what? what hold on, hold on. Say, say that again. I I need somebody to hear. It. Say that again, man. Because people don't talk enough about. It. Say that again, man. Business school is about collaboration. Dental school, unfortunately, it gets to a point. It's about competition, and it should not be that way. And that was probably the biggest cultural shock I had coming from my MBA program to dental school. I'm coming from a, a perspective that we spent two years of just collaborative. We have case studies. We have nights that we just figure out how can we maximize these particular business plans and different things like that. And I'm coming to dental school. I'm thinking, okay, we got 82 people here. We should be able to knock this thing out the park. You quickly find out that people have different plans. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Right? That's the easiest and nicest way I can put that. <laughs> that's just unfortunately how it goes. And then it's just learn from that particular point moving forward to work in a silo when it, it shouldn't be that way. And if we worked in a more collaborative way, imagine what this thing called dentistry could really be. Okay. Now, this this business background of yours, has it aided you at all in your dealings with insurances at all? For sure. For sure. Again, it's just understanding the language of business, understanding that when when, when are you in a, in a power position and when are you not in a power position? When can you push a little further negotiation? When can you not? Just simple soft skills like that is, is probably the biggest area in which it helps with. And for me in particular, even when I was traveling and working between different offices, I wanted to do all my own credentialing. 
I wanted to see everything firsthand. I want to submit my own claims. I want to do everything on my own. So by the time it's time for the lights to turn on, it's game time. I've already touched and seen a little bit of everything. So that's what it really taught me from the business perspective. You learn, you want to know a little bit about everything. That's all the NBA is. We take a little bit of business law, a little bit of finance, a little bit of accounting. So you know a little bit about everything. And that's why I think personally as a GP, it resonates with me so much because I know a little bit about everything. And the things that I don't know, I know I need to go get help with. Okay. So, you know, I'm going to ask you this, um, <laughs> kind of no one to answer, but I want to ask you this, Reading, how is it, good or bad, hard or not, working with family? And the reason I say that is because at <laughs> one point I worked with my wife and and thank God that uh, I, I, I was smart enough to leave <laughs> because, you know, you, you don't, you don't, you know, it's not like it was you know, uh, aggressive or anything. It just, you realize that I have my input. She has her input. And sometimes my input doesn't match her input. And so I needed to kind of be like, okay, I'm going to step over here. Right. And so I ask you that, you know, how hard or easy is it to have your brother that you work with, your wife that you work with and, and trying to build this, you know, we'll call it an empire because that's the name of your dental office. It's not easy, but I would say, it's not as hard as people told me it was going He's to so be. Truthful. Him, <laughs> He's so truthful. I love him, man. I'm going to be honest. It's not as hard as people told me it would be, okay. but I would say that's unique to our situation. From what I've seen, it will not work in most situations. Okay. Unless there's a clear designation on what you have the final call on and what this person has the final call on, it can't work, to be honest with you. So at what point, when we first bought the office, I got kicked out of my own office. My wife kicked me out because she was redesigning the entire office. And I'm saying, oh, we can keep this chair or we can keep this light. And she's like, you know what? I can't really do work like this. And she sent me out on the road. And I remember I was gone for like a a span of two months. I only came back on weekends. And in that time, she was redesigning the entire office. And that was absolutely beautiful. So it's important as dentists, we don't really get too big on ourselves and think that we have the final call on everything. We know everything. Again, know what is in the 80 to 85 percent of your wheelhouse and know what's not. Right. When it comes to decoration and design, I have three brothers. All right. Our house was brown and yellow. I mean, we really do design. I come from a Nigerian background. We're not that big on aesthetics. Okay, functionality. Is that right? Is it functional? (laughs) If it works, it stays. So so for me, that's not my wheelhouse. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tooth Be Told. The opinions on this episode are just that, our opinions. Please consult your dental professional before taking any action with your dental health. If you have any questions about anything you heard on this episode, please contact us at Real Dentist with an S. That's R-E-A-L, Dentist with an S, at gmail.com. We would be very happy to return any message that we receive because we love the communication that we have with our listeners.